What happens when we die? The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. We're going to be talking about the afterlife today. and There's a lot of myths, misunderstandings. We're going to try to clear all those up, go right into the Word of God. And to help us do that, of course, the esteemed uh, biblical scholar, Benjamin Kerfman, and uh, that erudite, educated, eloquent expositor, Terry Hollifield, and the very uh, practical <laughs> Adam Black. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because one thing that we will talk about is what practical difference does it make to believe in heaven and hell? And so let's kick this thing off by asking, does anything happen immediately after we die? Mr. Ben, what happens when we die? The scripture. <laughs> Not, that sounds like purgatory to me. No, nah, I ain't about that. What we know for sure is the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. With this caveat, we're talking about a believer. A believer, right? yes. Yes, yes. So by you saying that you believe that the moment a believer dies, he is in the presence of the Lord. Yes, he is in the presence of the Lord, but he is not in his final place. So that's not heaven. That's the intermediate state. Okay, an intermediate state. But by that, you're not advocating for purgatory. No. The difference would be in purgatory, a person is actually making some kind of payment for their sins, and that purgatory is temporary, whereas in the intermediate state, a person is either in the presence of the Father or is under the wrath of the Father until the last day when we're resurrected and both the, the wicked and the righteous receive new bodies. Some are then cast into the lake of fire or hell for all of eternity, uh, which is a different place, I think. And then others in the New Jerusalem is the final resting place for all of the saints and Jesus together. So technically, when we say when someone dies, they go to heaven. Well, if by heaven you mean the presence of God, then yes. If by heaven you mean the New Jerusalem, then no, because that hasn't come to pass yet. So when you say, let me, for clarification, when you say the presence of God, are you saying... Do you believe that heaven is an actual, like, location in the same way that hell is? Or is it a... Like a state? Yeah. A state of mind? Not a state of mind, but... I don't know that that's very clear to me. Okay. I do think that when it says that people who have gone are in the presence of the Lord, I think that that's very literal. Um, I don't believe that, the, uh, for instance, I wouldn't believe in soul sleep that someone just kind of gets presses Paul's until Jesus comes back. I think the thief on the cross, when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, he was speaking literally. But I think also when he's referring to paradise, he's not talking about the final resting place of all of the believers. Right. I think, uh, yeah. So okay. there's no soul slip, Terry. Why does Paul talk about those that sleep in Jesus, that God will raise them? 
Well, we see a sleep used as a metaphor for death in Scripture in several places. You know, when Jesus says, this little girl is not dead, she's only sleeping. We, we know, in, in fact, she was dead. So I, I don't think what it talks about those who are asleep in, in the Lord, um, it's referring to some sort of spiritual cryogenesis where, you know, think, like Ben says, things are kind of, he hit the pause button sort of thing. But I think it's a metaphor talking about those who have died in Jesus. But wouldn't it essentially be like blinking? You know what I'm saying? Like you mean you mean practically? Yeah, I mean, like yeah, practically. I mean, but like when you die, if the soul sleep thing or whatever, the moment you come to really, it's almost going to be like you blinked for the person you're right, saying, right for the person, right, right. Either either way, either way, sleep? either way. That's what I'm saying. Either way, it'll be like he's saying practically. You're saying from the, the perspective of the individual, right? It'll yeah, be like if, you soul, if soul sleep was true, they wouldn't know the difference anyways. Right. But I think what Terry's saying is, is, is those passages that talk about sleep, I think to espouse a doctrine like soul sleep, it just I don't think it matches up with the text. So there, it seems to be like, for instance, the classic example I would use is Lazarus and the rich man. You know, Lazarus and the rich man are both in this place, which I mean, that's that could bring a whole interesting conversation. They can see each other from the place that they're at. Which, if it is a geographical place, indicates that there's some proximity there that they're actually able to see and communicate with each other. And so you have the rich man who is in a place of torment, is being presently tormented in what the scripture says is Hades. And then you have Lazarus who is in the, the bosom of Abraham, yeah, which is paradise. Yeah. And so I, I think that when the scripture uses language like Hades and hell or paradise and heaven, I think that it's being specific for a reason, because uh, I think that they're, those are two different things. And so as you think about that, would it really matter doctrinally if you did believe in soul sleep, providing you don't believe in purgatory? Because like Adam says, you would know it. So is that a doctrine that's essential that we have to that we have to hold to that just immediately when you die, you're one place or the other? I don't think it's essential in terms of you can't be a Christian if you believe that. I don't think that's the proper biblical interpretation, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call someone a heretic if they think that. Yeah. I would say the same. I, I don't think that's a, uh, you know, a damnable heresy where somebody can't be saved by believing that. I wouldn't agree with it, but um, there's far worse things that people could. Well, I think the problem is people will think just in the reason I said that earlier is because we had this discussion at church one night and. I think people's fear is, is like, I'm going to be in a casket. <laughs> like, and I'm going to be aware. It, it'll be claustrophobic. Right. It'll be literally like you blinked, regardless of however long. Um, so, anyway. So, I, yeah, from a practical standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> what I would like to think about is that, yeah, we, we blink. We blink here that last time in death. And then next moment, we're observing the glory that awaits us. And, and yes, that may not be the final heaven. I understand that. And we can talk about the different heavens. Uh, but what we do know for sure is that uh, what makes heaven is that Jesus will be there. I mean, all the other things that uh, we talk about, uh, streets of gold and the crystal clear river of life and all of those sorts of things, it's, it's awesome. But to me, you take Jesus out of heaven and there's no heaven. Sure. And that's what makes it so to be in his presence. And so I think we're okay if we refer to it uh, that way. Um, so you mean heaven's not about me and my pleasures? Mm, well, let's talk about that. Uh, would, would you advocate for uh, 
Christian hedonism. Well, it was kind of. I don't like that word, but I agree with the concept. Okay. So the fact that you want to just define yeah, that for our yeah. for our listeners, Dennis. Yeah, John Piper is one I think that's popularized Calvinist and, and believes it's a uh, biblical concept for sure. Uh, that he didn't come up with it, but uh, he used that terminology talking about the pleasures that we find in God, the, the joy of experiencing Him and uh, all of His fullness. And so ultimately, isn't that really, you know, what the psalmist said, uh, what was it, Psalm seventeen eleven, maybe where he says, in your presence there are pleasures evermore. And that's set forth as a goal for us. And so we're created with that capacity. So I don't know that, uh, that there would be anything wrong with that. Well, I guess what I mean, though, is a lot of people view heaven as a place for carnal pleasures. So they don't see it as... Uh, well, the Muslims certainly do. Yeah, well, the Muslims do. But what I mean is, by carnal pleasures, I mean even uh, the whole, I've got a mansion and I've got you know riches and all of my family is going to be there and it's going to be like the best thing that I can imagine and any kind of food that I want to eat will be there and there's this kind of stuff and it's like, I hear people talk about heaven all the time, like it's this place where I'm going to get everything that I want and Jesus just isn't a part of the equation. And they talk about like if somebody played the guitar... At their funeral, they say, "Well, he's he's picking in glory." Or right. rode motorcycles, they would say, "He's he's riding the streets of gold right now." Or, or dis- disabilities, right? The person in a wheelchair, I bet they're dancing in heaven right now. And is there anything wrong with that? No, not necessarily. But why are they dancing? <laughs> well, Mitch, <laughs> you know, like let's talk about the reason why they would even be doing something like that. I thought about this. There was a movie that came out several years ago called "The Five People You Want to Meet in Heaven." Mitch Album wrote it, and the whole idea was this very notion: like this man, he was a carnival maintenance guy, loved it, loved the carnival. So when he went to heaven, heaven was a carnival. Uh, there was it was that whole idea, and that's what it was all about. It's like um, ultimate postmodernism, isn't it? Like, not yeah, only do you create your reality here, you create <laughs> heaven. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, God wasn't any part of that. But, yeah. um, I mean, like, one guy was killed in war, and but he loved war. He lo- And so war was, obviously, that's not the case. I mean, yeah. We would certainly hope not. <laughs> but um, but I, I think when you talk about carnal pleasures, usually, of course, we use the word carnal to describe moral or sinful but some of the things that we enjoy then properly can glorify God. Like when Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And there are certain uh, images, the marriage supper of the Lamb, eating of the tree of life, and that sort of thing. So why could we not enjoy some of those, what would, I guess we consider fleshly, uh, earthly pleasures, why not in an eternal state? What, what would I, I be think, wrong with that? I think people are going to have jobs in the New Jerusalem. Yeah, Adam had a job in the garden before the fall, right? Yep. Yeah. And in perfection, he was still created to work, and in working, he brought glory to God. So I, I think the more that I contemplate it, the more that I study Scripture, I think that life in the New Jerusalem after the final judgment is going to be a lot more like our lives now than most people think. Of course, without sin, but... As far as well, sort of a, a very work and relationships, is, right. yeah. I mean, yes. right. I mean, we're relational creatures, and obviously, we're created to have a relationship with Him, but we're also created for a relationship with each other. Yeah. Because sure. Adam was made very good, and yet God still made a companion for him. I think if it's true, good, and beautiful, and exalts the Lord, it'll be in heaven. I mean, 
This earth is amazing. If you think about, I mean, we live here in the beautiful mountains of West North Carolina. We look around and see glorious things. And this is the fallen version of this earth. And I'm looking forward to the new earth and not in the no for Winfrey kind of sense, uh, right. but the, the biblical sense. Yeah, I think it'd be very much like this. I think we'll enjoy food. Jesus ate after his resurrection, did he not? He did. He cooked the food. After, he did. And it was meat, by the way, fish. And it was uh, on the charcoal fire. Right. Amen. Right. And I have not had supper, man. I'm just salivating right <laughs> so, now thinking about it. So, yeah. So I think <laughs> Bojangles in heaven for Ben. For Ben. Yeah. Possibly so. It was Bojangles in hell tonight, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll delete that comment so we're not sued by Strike Bojangles. that from the record, please. Yes, yes. Okay, so we've been talking about uh, eternal life. And so let's talk a little bit about eternal life and, and what that means. So, uh, Adam, give me a, a definition of eternal life. That's a great question because when I was a youth pastor, one of the questions um, one of my youth asked me was, we're technically not eternal. Like, what is? Well, that's a good observation from a student. Well, you, well, and so <laughs> like you have eternal life. Well, we had a beginning, so therefore, the King James says everlasting. Yeah, I right. Think it's, I think it's good. Right. So you know that's a that's a great great question. And I I went back and forth. I said, well, that is uh, an excellent question because we 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 have a beginning. We're not eternal beings going forward. So I don't know exactly what the right word would be. Well, here's here's the trick though. Uh, whose life are we are we living? Ours now. But what is the life that is in it's us? The life of Christ. Yeah, but the you life don't of Christ being you. No, you don't. But what I'm saying is, is when we talk about being given eternal life, where is the source of that no, life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Christ. Now, is Christ eternal? Yes, He has no beginning and no end. So the eternal life doesn't necessarily mean that we're eternal, but it does mean that the life that we have is eternal because it's given to us by Christ who is eternal. And that's not just in heaven. That's right here, right now. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that, I came to give you life and to give it to the full. That's not just talking about the future. That's talking about today. The very moment you believe. Of course, if you're a Calvinist, that was going to happen anyway. You're already regenerate. Yes. It had new life before yes. you believed. Exactly. But right. anyway, right. we, will, we will go down Still that. Still sinning. We'll go down that. But you're regenerate, brother. <laughs> so, right, so, so, you don't sin now? Yeah, but I, I hate it now, though. I hate it when I do. Most I'm, of the time. I'm preaching on that Sunday. All regenerate people do. But but the truth That's is. why they repent. That's not true. You said that they can be regenerate but not saved. See, why did I start? <laughs> saved people. They can, be, they can be regenerate but not professing their faith. Every, Eternal life. Everyone yeah, yeah. So is, is, is behaving and then, you know. I, then you throw the, the, the Calvin, the C yes, word in there. Yes, I know. Yeah, I, congratulations. I, I'm so sorry. We don't use those kind of that kind of language on this podcast. <laughs> But what I like to think about is there's a difference between eternal life as a quality of life and everlasting life as a quantity of time. Everlast- like everlasting life, uh, to me, is possessed by people in, in hell. Uh, mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be there forever. That's true. But it's not a quality of life. But the very life that we have is the life of the Son, as we've been talking about. And so when we receive that, I mean, even as a believer, can you imagine being confined in these bodies forever, in this world and this existence forever? You wouldn't want everlasting life. That would be a that would be a hell on earth, wouldn't it? Uh, as you were afflicted with pain and so forth. So when God gives us eternal life, it's that quality that He has for us, which of course does bring a quantity with it as well, but in in the quality. 
So, so let's talk a little bit more, explore what happens when we get to the other side and we're prepared to meet the Lord. The other side of the river? Yes, the other side of the river. Yes, the river of death. And uh, So, will we know our family and friends have gone before us, and will it matter? What do you think? Let's tackle that one. Will we know our family and friends? Yes. Yeah, I believe we will. Okay. And what what level of relationship? Well, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, What kind of relationship? Yeah. Well, that's what it talks about. He goes around and sees all his loved yeah, ones, yeah, and yeah, sure. I want to see Jesus. Anyway, don't, no, don't sing, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll cancel us. So, what type of relationship? So, like, listen, you're married to a very lovely young lady named Tabitha, whom I know you love very dearly. And the Bible says that in heaven we're like the quote angels, in that we don't marry or we're not given in marriage. So is she going to be your wife? Will you know her as your wife? Will she be disappointed? Or glad? <laughs> that's the case. That's her paradise. That's her paradise. Maybe I shouldn't have gone there either. Uh, so what, what do you think about all that? It's hard to think about. I mean, honestly, I mean, to, to, from, a, from a standpoint of will our thinking be different from a relational standpoint, I can't fathom that personally. Like, it, w- would I see Tabitha not think, oh, there's my wife? I don't know. Let me throw, let me throw a, a wrench in, in here. Dennis, uh, get your thoughts on Isaiah 65, 17, okay. which says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So you think How we'll... Take that? So I you think we'll know less then than we know now. Well, I'm not taking a position. I'm asking what you think on it about uh, that. I, I don't, you know, I'm pretty forgetful <laughs> and stupid now. I think in heaven I will know much more. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that in terms of, uh, again, metaphorically speaking, uh, that uh, the new creation will be so superior that it really supplants all the, the previous things. I don't think it's that we wouldn't know, but our way of looking at it uh, would be vastly different. So that's how I would read into that, based on other scripture. And, and I think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. with Peter, James, and John, and they were able to identify Moses and Elijah. Mm-hmm. They, they called them, you know, they were able to uh, recognize who they were. So, you know, why would they suddenly forget when they got to the got to the other side? Mm-hmm. We talked about the story Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. Abraham was identified. They knew one another. In fact, the guy that's in torment says, uh, you know, I want you to send somebody back because my brothers are lost and they're going to come to this awful place. I want somebody to go share with them. So uh, I think there are some indications that we would recognize people. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree. I think the the verse uh, some people quote that Isaiah sixty five seventeen, but the verse before that I think gives some clarity. It says, "For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my from my eyes." And I think I agree with you that it's a it's a speaking of a, a relative thing that relative to the glory that we're beholding, I won't be counting the troubles that I've gone through. But I do think that we will remember things and and. Consider this, it's not not that we'll be able to dwell on our sin or whatever, but when we see Jesus, he will still bear 
the marks of his crucifixion. We will know him as our Savior. We will know what we've been saved from. We will praise him forever as the Lamb, right? right. And so if we totally forgot our past, we wouldn't be praising Jesus for forgiving us and saving us and paying the price for us. And so I think we have to be able to remember our earthly existence. And in terms of our our wives and that sort of thing, I, I like to think now, you know, I, the greatest relationship I can think of with Kelly is to be her husband. But right now I'm her husband as a sinner. She's my wife as a sinner. And while I don't believe the Bible teaches that I'll be her husband in heaven, I think I'll be able to know her and I think I will be able to love her better, not being her husband, even than I can now as her husband, because I won't be a sinner anymore and she won't be a sinner anymore and we'll be made new. And so I think my, my friendships on earth won't necessarily go away. I think they'll be better than they could have ever possibly been. So, so the love that you share with her now, uh, even at its best is tainted by selfishness and sin. Without question. But in glory, it's not going to be that way. Yeah, and people think, well, you know, there's there's in earthly means there's this integral component of the sexuality between a husband and a wife. And they think, well, you can't really be husband and wife w- without that and you're not going to be doing that in heaven and but I think I think it's our relationship with our with our spouses are much more than that. And with the component of, of our sinfulness removed, man, I think we really have no idea how great a relationship with another human can be. This idea of are we going to remember, are we going to know people, like specifically with marriage, I, I would be very content to be married for eternity. That's actually, that is a passage that's probably one of my least favorite passages in the Bible because I don't like it, but I have to accept it as true. Or be like Thomas Jefferson, cut out the part. Just cut it out. Cut out the yeah, part. I don't, I don't really like that. But, um, but the, what I was thinking is like, so for instance, Adam, you have kids. How much do your girls know about Passover Seder? How much do they know? Yeah, like like if I told them, I said, hey, tell me about when you guys uh, celebrated your Passover Seder last year. What would they say? They would have a clue. Okay. Now, if I asked them, hey, what is Easter about? What would they say? Well, the, when Jesus rose from the grave. And- okay. So, th- so they remember Easter because it's the fulfillment of Passover. So Passover is not necessarily as important for them to understand. It is important. But when it comes to remembrance, it's more important that they remember the cross than it is that they remember the lamb in Egypt. So I think it's the same way in heaven of, for instance, with marriage, it's a picture of Christ in the church. So at the marriage supper of the lamb, our marriages are inconsequential. They're they're a shadow of the true thing. So I think when we are there and we see the fulfillment of marriage, when we see Christ and his church together in the new Jerusalem dwelling together, marriage becomes unnecessary. I think it's the same reason why, for instance, in first Corinthians 13, tongues are going to cease. Prophecies are going to cease. All these things are going to cease. Why? Because the perfect is going to come. So once the fulfillment has arrived, there's no need for evangelism. There's no need for spiritual gifts. There's no need for marriage. There's not even a need for pastors or anything like that because all, all, all of that is being fulfilled in Christ at the end. And so I do, I, I agree with you. Terry. Uh, so there is marriage, but we're wed to Christ. We're part of the, There's true marriage. 
So what, what we're living in right now is not really the true marriage. It's a picture of the true marriage. And so we appreciate it the same way as uh, God makes, makes us in his image. The more that we can be conformed into the image of Jesus, the more glory we bring him. And the more our marriage looks like the true marriage, the more glory we bring him. But when those things are fulfilled, the old things are going to pass away. They're not necessary anymore. Paul says, again, in 1 Corinthians 13, like, now we look through a glass darkly, but then we'll see him face to face. And I think a lot of these questions that we have, they will be inconsequential when, when we're there. We're, the concerns and the, and the worries and the anxieties that we have about the afterlife, a lot of it's not going to matter because we're going to see the fulfillment and it's going to make sense of, oh, this is what it was really about the whole time. So... The scripture does speak about those in heaven playing harps. So is that an allusion to us being angels? What's, what's going to happen there? No, because angels are a totally different type of creature. Yes. So, so God's creatures don't switch between classifications. If we're not going to believe in evolution, then we don't need to believe that we become angels oh, either. Brother, that's good. <laughs> but uh, wanting someone to be an angel is bad theology. Because angels are, they're not the recipients of grace. Yeah. Right. The scripture says that they look into our salvation. That they're, they're curious about what would it be sense. like. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> An angel would look at the, the vilest sinner that's saved and say, wow, how could I ever, what would it be like to be adopted into God's family? What would it be like? The, the angel sitting around the throne would be curious of, what if I was an heir? What, what if, God saw me the way that he sees Jesus and they do see the way that he sees Jesus every day. And so to say, well, that person's an angel. That's, that's actually that's a demeaning. Yeah. yeah. It's demeaning. And, and people don't mean it in a bad, right, in a sure. bad sense. They mean it in, in a, in a loving way, but theologically it's like, no, no, I don't want to be an angel. I don't want my loved ones to be angels. I want them to be saints. Um, that's the hope that we have is not that you're going to grow wings and eat cream cheese on a cloud. I think it's because pe- you know people get their theology from <laughs> really you know I like cream cheese. Yeah, no, I, like, I like cream cheese. I have there's based a, on bagels. I have jalapeno there, popper. There's a river of cream cheese in my mansion. Bless God. <laughs> Did not like cream cheese. But pe- people get their theology from Jimmy Stewart movies. You know, it's every time Hallmark bell, movies. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, and that sort of stuff. It's it's not biblical. Uh, that from the like car- angels. From the like angels. From the question you asked. You know, like, like you said, that's what you said. Oh, 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 yeah. We're like, I would say from a worship standpoint, that's the way I would view that. But see, I would say even the worship between the saints and the angels is different. Like, for instance, like this, this is one, well, that's of, my, what this is one of my pet right. peeves, right? One of my pet Activity. peeves about, right. about heaven is people are like, we're just going to sing. You were to stand around the throne and sing. Holy, 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 you know, for eternity. There's no, not, not three verses. No, we're not. Well, first of all, he's created the angels to do that. He has creatures that can do that. He made humans as relational creatures. Look at his relationship with Adam. It says that Adam had a job. Adam was working and bringing glory to God by taking care of God's things. He walked with God. He walked with God, which implies that they were not always together all day, which means Adam kind of did his own thing sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they had a relationship with each other. And I think... I used to always, that, I, that used to drive me nuts when I was a kid of like, who wants to just stand and sing for like even an hour? Like, that's one reason why I'm not a charismatic because I don't want to sing for 45 minutes. You know, like, wh- like, why would I want to do that? And I used to think that when I was a kid, I was like, heaven just sounds so lame. Like, wow. Giant musical. Why would I want to go there? Yeah. But, but when you think about it, of he has creatures that can do that. 
their their sole job is to worship him around the throne and sing to him. So for me as a human being, am I going to sing and worship him? Yeah, I would hope so. I think so. Well, according to scripture, you will. So. Right. But the, but the thing is, is that going to be the, my, my sole function for all of eternity? No, I think that God has made humans for more than just singing. Well, one of the things that I think that we can agree on is that this is a difficult subject because even though the Bible does reveal certain things about the afterlife, it doesn't reveal a lot. Nope. And we've got to be cautious because it is, is something that in our heart that we just yearn for to be with God because we were created for that purpose to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so we, if we're not careful, we want to go beyond what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. And, and when you start to speculate, you, you really get into trouble. And I, and I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's okay to, to have imagination, but let's, let's talk about where some of this departure from truth, I think, may have happened. We've got a lot of books that have come out very popular in Christian circles. Uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, 23 Minutes in Hell, Heaven is Real, and, and we could go on and name many bestsellers that, that are out there. So what do you think about those types of things? Dreams, visions, near-death experiences, or, or when people say they actually died and, and went and came back and then gave a report. What do you think about some of those things? Well, any anything like that, uh, any personal experience must be pressed through the grid of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we can have lots of experiences, man, uh, drug-induced or not drug-induced or chemically induced from our own bodies. You or, can lick certain kind of frogs. And get that's that right. Experience. That's right. You can eat pizza too late at night. But whatever <laughs> it is, I'm not saying every every experience like that is is false by any means. I'm just saying that we tend to latch on to our experiences more than we do doctrine, right? It's easier to feel something. And so when we feel a particular thing and then we interpret that particular thing through our Feelings, or we experience a particular thing and interpret that through our feelings, can be really dangerous. That subjective kind of thing, and when something in a movie or a book or something like that resonates with something that we've experienced, or have heard about, or want to be true because of our feelings, man, we can really, really get off base. You know, I'm not saying feelings are bad, but they should be the caboose of the train, not not the engine. Well, and they're selling books. Yeah. So they're not gonna. They want to. They want to feed on those feelings and, and you make go people to your, be motivated by greed. <laughs> yeah, and go to your emotions and things of that nature. I mean, some of those books, you know, the afterlife. The I've only read one or two of them, but there's very little mention of the glory of God and you know the presence of God and from scripture. I mean, that's what we will know. You know, people who actually encountered the glory of God didn't walk away just remembering their grandfather. And there's a host of things we could talk about on the topic of heaven. Let's go the other direction. Uh, let's talk about hell for a few moments. How, and, and Adam, since, I'm going to start with you, since your generation, many people have difficulty grasping that a sinner for a lifetime could be punished with fire for eternity. So is, is that really just? What about annihilationism and so forth? What do you think about all that? Well, the, the the simplest way that I've always tried to explain hell to people is is when people do not want to have a relationship with God and they don't want anything to do with God, 
then the simplest question is why would you want to spend an eternity with someone that you don't want anything to do with? And so God has created a place for you <laughs> in essence. I mean, I know it's way deeper than that, but you know, people who want to reject God and all that God is, and I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with telling me what to do on and on and on. Then why would you want to spend an eternity with the being that you're rejecting your entire life? Yeah. You, you can talk to people as hell being a form of mercy, right? Because he's not forcing them to do something they don't want to do. Right. You don't want a relationship. You C.S. Know? Lewis says the door on hell is locked from the inside. Right. <laughs> so, so, so the concept, I don't, I don't think we have difficulty buying into the concept, but the, what about the justice of it in terms of the duration of it? Uh, so you've got, let's say you live to be 80 years and you're a, a rebel, an awful person uh, for that matter. Should you suffer for a thousand years, 10,000, a million? Only the Pope knows. Well, Right. Well, I think, and this might break us into other discussion, but, um, you know, we know that God is sovereign over hell, but the idea of God's glory being in hell and all that is good is God, so there is no good in hell. So that in itself would be torment in itself, would it not? Because I think that's a that's a difficult question because I've even had people say, well, God's not present in hell. Well, he's sovereign over it. I, I think that God is present in hell. In what way? I mean, for one, David says, if I ascend into the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and chill or the grave, you're there. But that's different than the final lake of fire, right? It could be a reference okay. to Hades. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm inclined, and this is kind of speculative, like we've said, there's some things that are just not clear. I am inclined to think that hell exists because people are in the presence of God. Like, it, because... Say that part again. That, yeah, I didn't follow that either. Uh, okay. So, when we talk about atonement, the, the word atonement means covering. It's this idea of sin being covered, right? We see the first example in Genesis 3 where he makes animal skins to cover their nakedness, which was which was representative of their of atonement. And then we see this pattern all throughout Scripture. There's atonement applied to the outside of the ark. There's atonement applied to all these different things. And ultimately, the fulfillment of that is that atonement of Christ's blood is applied to everyone who believes. So they are covered so that when the wrath of God is poured out, they are protected from the wrath of God. If you think about it in that context, God is exposing all human beings to his holiness. And the difference is some of them have a covering and some of them don't. So if I am raw and exposed to God in my sin... God's holiness is destroying me, but because he made me an eternal creature, I am eternally being destroyed. And so I, do, so I don't ever stop being in torment, but I'm being exposed to his holiness in, in an unending way. I am being exposed to his holiness in a different way because I'm covered by the blood of Christ. So the, the difference between the believer and the unbeliever in being exposed to God's holiness is one of them is able to actually have peace and enjoyment in the holiness of God because they're covered. The other one is an eternal tor- torment because they have no covering, no protection from God's wrath. Well, and to, and to kind of follow up on that, you know, a lot of times we talk about hell being a place of sorrow, weeping and wailing. But don't miss, miss that other component, gnashing of teeth. It's anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when people gnash their teeth, it, it is an anger. It's a hate so that whatever you are here is, is set in that personality that endures. And so 
if you're anti-God here, which I think is, is mm-hmm. to your point, Adam, you're going to be anti-God there. And it just, just clinches that for all of, of eternity. I do think that there are degrees of reward in heaven and also of retribution in hell. And I think that's like where Dante. Judge, well, it's where the, it's maybe not exactly like that. It's where it's where justice comes in, though, because some people say, well, well, how would it be fair for Hitler you know, to suffer at the same level as somebody that maybe was a decent moral person, you know, and they died. For, but, but they're not going to all suffer. All sin is sin. People say that's time. All, well, all sin is yeah. sin to God. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things people say. Yeah. But but the, the truth is that a just God will punish more severely certain people because uh, even Jesus said it'd be more tolerable mm-hmm. in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum because Capernaum had more life. They had seen the, the living Christ, and they rejected that light. Sodom and Gomorrah only had one preacher, and he's a backslider named Lot. And, and so, so the, the amount of, of judgment is... The, but let's, let's be clear, though, that the worst part of hell is the part that everybody will experience, and that's the separation from a relationship with God. You know, even the, the worst sinner, most rebellious person against God who lives on the face of the earth, ever has lived on the face of the earth and here, doesn't know what life without God is like. They live under God's great blessing every day. And, and all that is good is common God. grace. Yeah, and they, common grace. And they don't recognize that. So the worst part of hell that everybody will experience uh, from, you know, the, the good old boy who didn't accept Jesus but loved his grandma to Saddam Hussein or whomever they will all experience the worst part, and that is... Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? They'll sure. have to experience They'll that They'll have firsthand. to experience that. That's exactly right. So it's not that hell's going to be easy That's for the, anybody. Exactly. exactly. But they're going to experience exactly what Jesus did on the cross. We could either have him experience that for us, or you will literally experience that in, uh, in hell. By your own choosing. By your own yeah. choosing. Yeah. And I, you asked about the duration of hell, Dennis. I think that that hell will last as long as heaven does and heaven will last as long as God does. Right. So the, the nature of God himself and because hell means that you're separated from God relationally permanently, then it demands that it be everlasting because God himself will, is everlasting. But let, let me get to the real practical. Uh, Amen. Amen. <laughs> the, the truth is that people who've been greatly used of God, down through the centuries have been those who kept their eye on eternity that some people speak of folks who are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good well they, they don't they're not heavenly minded they don't really understand what it's going to be like to stand before jesus to worship him to to re- hear well done good and faithful servant having that view then also re- recognizing my neighbors are on their way to a christless eternity what am I going? To, it's it's a motivating factor, mm-hmm. something that drives us, compels us, and so if you don't have that fire uh, for eternity in you, I, I question whether you're going to accomplish a lot uh, right here if you're not thinking about the hereafter. If you don't have fire for eternity, you'll have fire in eternity. Oh! Amen. And on that, did you get? 
<laughs> you can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than bash the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.